1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Monday. It is October 30th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until noon today. We'll keep reminding you throughout the week as well. This is the last week. Because the time change is upcoming here on Sunday, so things will be shifting around starting next Monday. The Dan Patrick Show from 7 to 10 a.m., followed by the Sports Zone from 10 to 11, and this here program from 11 to 1. So we'll continue to... uh, patiently remind you because we have to kind of remind ourselves that it's changing as well Uh, so we'll do that uh, for the rest of the week we have a game three in the world series it's all tied up one one between the diamondbacks and the rangers so let's get things started with the kdos1060.com poll question which is who wins tonight's world series game three at chase field the d-backs or the rangers and this is completely shifted bob from our number one of the sports zone diamondbacks 78 percent of the vote rangers 22 percent diamondbacks going with brandon fought tonight they've won all four of his playoff starts even that first performance against milwaukee which was not good at all quite frankly uh but they came back and won that game uh he's been much better in the last three starts needless to say allowing a two uh two earned runs and 14 innings over that stretch he's still only pitched more than uh, you know, gotten into the fifth inning just one time or past the you know, fifth or sixth inning just one time in those starts. Uh, on the other side, Max Scherzer, who's had the two starts since he you know, he went on the injured list on September the 9th because of a, you know, arm, arm issues. And he uh, came back and pitched twice in the American League Championship Series against Houston. They lost both those games. Uh, he allowed seven runs on nine hits and two walks uh, in those two outings against the Astros. We'll get into much more of the weekend action for the World Series here momentarily, but let's go into today's Twitter poll question at KDOS AM 1060. This question is stemming from post-game comments made from Arizona Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon uh, in reference to Kyler Murray. He was specifically asked about who, uh, if Josh Dobbs is going to be his starter uh this Sunday, which happens to be in Cleveland, he said, yeah. So are the Cardinals doing the right thing by not having Kyler Murray make his 2023 season debut next Sunday at Cleveland? And the masses are on the 69.2% of the vote. Yes. No sitting at 30.8%. I would have guessed 69.2% for sure. No doubt about that. <laughs> um, as far as this goes, I mean, we, we learned last week around the NFL We've learned this, you know, we've known this for years, but, you know, coaches, when they say one thing on a Sunday, that could change like by Monday or change by the next week. Uh, So we learned that last week with at least a couple of quarterbacks. Uh, So we'll see what's going on. I don't think it would be particularly a good idea for Murray to make his debut against a Browns defense, which has a really dominating front seven and a very good secondary. 
We will officially answer this question around 1130. Uh, back in the winner's circle, Bob, we are with Friday Spread, our winner of the Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits gift card on Friday to Louisville minus six and a half, and they ended up routing Duke 23 to nothing. So we're sitting at seven, seven and two on the season. If you aren't sure what it is that we do on Fridays, we go through the college and NFL slate of games. We have a $100 gift certificate up for grabs for the day's winner to Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. The winner also then has to provide the weekend bet that we're all cheering for. $5 is on it. We're looking for money at season's end to charity. Like I said, we're 7-2 back in the winner's circle. ASU football picked up a 38 to 27 win over WSU. U of A football topped Oregon State 27 to 24. The Arizona Cardinals dropped to 1 and 7 following that 31 to 24 loss to the Ravens yesterday. But we get things started here with the Diamondbacks in the World Series. It's all tied up 1-1. You've already mentioned it, Bob. Game 3 today will be Brandon Fott and Max Scherzer 5:03 p.m. on Fox. We have to do it, though. We have to go back to Friday. We have to talk about game one. We got to set the scene for how we're here, all tied up 1-1. Zach Allen, he was the starting pitcher for uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. He gave up two runs in the first, got some run support then in the third, fourth, and fifth. And he ended up going five and a third, or, or five innings, excuse me, four hits, three runs, four walks, five strikeouts on 99 pitches. It was not spectacular, but he left with the lead. That's true. Uh, he battled his way through, and uh, you know, as we mentioned on Friday, and uh, we've mentioned from time to time during the entire season, that uh, this is a good Rangers lineup. To me, it's a much better lineup, one through nine, the Phillies lineup that they you know took care of in the in the National League Championship Series. So I thought that was a good performance. Obviously, you know they thought they had things set up, and it's worked out especially well, not just in the playoffs, but towards the end of the regular season. Uh, with the you know the seven eight nine inning guys, that's who they kind of had ready to go, and obviously it didn't work out in the ninth inning. And once again, it's just uh, baffles my brain. Uh, many things do, but why anybody throws Corey Seager if any fastball ever in any count, let alone the first pitch, I just don't get it. I mentioned it last Friday, uh, and it happened Friday night, and they got tied up in the bottom of the ninth. Seawald threw him a fastball, and that ball had no problem leaving the park. Uh, no, it did not. Uh, you know what's also interesting, and I kind of forgot about this until I was watching him throw the pitch to Corey Seager, is that they have a little bit more history throughout the year yes. because Seawald right. was originally with the Seattle Mariners and in, in the same American League division there. Absolutely. Not just this year. Um, you know, he's been, he's been with the Mariners for a handful of years and, uh, you know, they have a whole lot more, you know, it's something I should have mentioned on Friday, quite frankly. Uh, and I, you know, thought of it at you know, some point like Friday afternoon, which just does me no good. Uh, so I wasn't going to like, you know, crash the airwaves and say, I forgot one thing I need to bring up. But uh, <laughs> you know, certainly that was a you know, big deal. And the fact that they have faced him a lot and uh, I don't know if that played a role. I mean, that's it, it, even less of an excuse to throw Seager a first pitch fastball even though he's only faced him for two seasons because Seager's only been in Texas for two years. And I'm not sure how much he faced him when Seager was in Los Angeles, but 
Uh, I remember like five, six years ago, I just remember talking about this on the air, that why would anybody throw that dude a fastball? And they did, and they paid for it. So, you know, obviously we're talking a lot there about that fastball decision. Um, Does does walking the nine-hole hitter, though, does that leave a bad taste in your mouth there? Because obviously if you give up a solo shot to Corey Seager, you still have a one-run lead. But since you walk the nine-hole hitter, uh, the two-run shot was devastating. Absolutely. And, yes, Simeon's had an awful playoff at the plate he's made some unbelievably important defensive plays for the rangers to get them to the help him get to the world series but i mean you usually you lock him and you go oh my god we got to face simeon and seager next uh so and, and you know Tavares is not particularly i mean he's had some interesting moments this year he's not a, he, actually he's a much improved hitter used to just basically be a defensive only guy uh, he obviously hit the home run in the uh, you know the, in the American League Championship Series, which helped them win a game against Justin Verlander uh, and so forth. But uh, you can't be walking Tavares, whether it's leading off the top of the ninth inning or, quite frankly, they shouldn't be walking him at any point. Yeah, make him swing the bat and take your chances. Now, on Friday, you had left us with uh, some thoughts about the Rangers with LeClerc and that you were a little bit nervous about LeClerc here, but he was solid in two innings of work on on that Friday night contest. Yeah, uh, it was certainly uh, he didn't have to do a a whole lot in uh, the first inning he pitched. He didn't throw a lot of pitches that inning, and that certainly gave Bruce Bochy the option to bring him back for that second inning. Then obviously there, um, Adolis Garcia continuing to do Adolis Garcia things, and that's how things were walked off for the Texas Rangers. You know, what I think is is the fascinating and cool part about sports. By, by the way, just on that, I don't think that was actually a bad pitch from Castro. I thought that was a tremendous job of hitting the ball to the opposite field. And when he actually hit that, it I didn't think, you know, you have a, you know I know it's only a couple of you know, split second or whatever, but when that ball actually connected with his bat, I didn't think there was any chance that ball was leaving the park. Uh, so, obviously for fans, you're left watching this with just total devastation. And this is where I kind of, like, geek out and think this is, like, the cool part of sports and the cool part of baseball, too, especially in the playoffs, is that we, you know, watching this here as fans, you're devastated, you're demoralized, you kind of have this, uh, you know, iffy feeling to your Saturday here, but players can't have that mindset. You know, it, it happened, you have to flush it, and tomorrow is a new day. It happened to be game one, there's a game two opportunity ahead for you and we talk about it that your like momentum is as good as your next day's starting pitcher and Merrill Kelly was absolutely superb in that game to start uh domination really seven innings three hits one run nine strikeouts one home run on 89 pitches and I think it also really helped in this particular situation too uh that the Diamondbacks bats completely exploded in the seventh and eighth inning which allowed Tori Lovello to go in a different direction in the bullpen too to get those guys that pitched in that first game some rest ready to go here for coming home to Phoenix. Especially Ginkle, who would you know he was near the 30 pitches in that you know the stint that he had on Friday night. So I think that was important. Two things. First up, I've been I think I watched every postseason game or close to every postseason game for like 50 years. And game one of his series, um, and I, you know, not even when Kirk Gibson at the home run, 
1988 against the A's that I think, you know, devastation is not the word I think of. It's the, it's the first of a seven-game series, and we've had a whole lot of teams that have lost game ones of World Series and come back and won the actual series itself. Uh, so I wasn't devastated. It was disappointing. Uh, but, you know, it was, you know, I think they put more emphasis on winning game two, however. Uh, but I don't think it was devastating that they lost that game on Friday night. As I mentioned, disappointing in this, the way that it happened with the two home runs that we just talked about. Uh, but Merrill Kelly, we've talked about this frequently with him. Do you have a pretty good idea what you're going to get out of Merrill Kelly uh, after the first inning? And, you know, he was, his command was there really the whole game, but... You know, that first inning and those first three hitters, I just mentioned, you know, two of them, and you know, Carter's hitting third. And once he got through that, and, you know, Kelly, after the game, actually said something similar that you know, he thought he was in, you know, they, I'm you know, really paraphrasing here, thought he was you know, in you know, pretty good shape or thought he had things going, et cetera, after that first inning. And, you know, from time to time, he's kind of lost some command during games, but usually it seems to me that that's a, Kind of once he establishes that, whether it's uh, you know the first inning or thereafter, it seems like he's kind of you know clued in and uh, you know, kind of you know, really has a you know the command's not an issue once he gets it going. It seems like. Uh, you know, we continue to talk about Perdomo, but he continues to provide things for us to talk about in a positive light. Again, another really solid bunt there in the seventh to move runners over, which eventually uh, brought home by Evan Longoria there. And then in the eighth, he started things off with, uh, you know, also being able to walk in that particular inning, getting more people on base for Marte to bring home to. Uh, also highlighting here, Cattell Marte now having the Major League Baseball post season record with an 18 game hitting streak so lots of really good things for the Diamondbacks at the plate uh in game number two yeah that's true I mean once they got Montgomery out of there especially so uh yeah we think that's the the biggest uh, question about the Rangers team even uh during the postseason when their bullpen has seemingly figured it out uh to some extent but uh Especially if you get to the quote supplemental, you know, guys, not the the main last couple of guys, and the, when they have a lead, you mentioned Leclerc, and yeah, you know, Chapman is still kind of a hit and miss proposition. Either you know, talking about a guy who uh, doesn't exactly always have command and control, he he would be maybe the definition of that. Uh, but if he's throwing uh, if he's throwing the ball where he wants to throw it. Uh, the hitters don't have much of a chance, but you know, the fact that they got Montgomery out of there and they, they certainly feasted on uh, you know, some of the uh, you know, supplemental uh, Rangers relief pitchers. To your point, Montgomery's line was six innings, nine hits, four runs, one walk, one home run, 75 pitches before they turned things over to the yeah. bullpen. They actually should have scored more runs off of him, quite frankly. We will get into a little bit more about this game three matchup between Brandon Fought, Max Scherzer on the other side of the break. We have plenty to get into in addition with college football, the NFL, so many injuries in the NFL into some important key positions and players and quarterbacks. It seems like in that morning slate of games, there were just injuries uh, nonstop 
in, in yesterday's Sunday action. So we'll dive into all of that. Plus, we'll take your phone calls today. Uh, 1030 and 1115, 602, 260, 1060 is the number. 602, 260, 1060, around 1030 and 1115. More World Series discussion with the Diamondbacks and the Rangers tonight, 5.03 p.m. first pitch on Fox. It is the Extra Point, KDOS, AM 1060. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS, AM 1060. on this Monday, October 30th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Continuing our World Series conversation as it is Game 3 tonight from Chase Field. It's a 5.03 p.m. start uh, over on Fox. Brandon fought Max Scherzer. Actually, throwing out the ceremonial first pitch is going to be uh, Luis Gonzalez and Randy Johnson, a couple of heroes from uh, the 2001 World Series run for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So what can Brandon Fott do tonight? Uh, He's obviously turned up his game a notch since the NLDS, and I think a ton of credit has to go to the the coaching staff for really coming up with some solid game plans for him and then going out for him and executing. Yeah, he's throwing strikes. Uh, And... uh... Yeah, he's had, uh, you know, back to that command thing again. He's had much better command. Yeah, he faced uh, the Rangers. I think that was his major league debut when he faced the Rangers in Arlington. He got bombed. It was the home run derby game, but uh, he certainly got much better at that. And for the most part, he's kept the ball in the uh, park during the postseason, and they've won all four of his postseason starts, as I mentioned earlier this hour. And uh, the fact that you know, he's actually, I think you can say, pitched well in the last three. That first game in Milwaukee, he was not good at all, but they got him out of there and they rallied to win that game. Uh, so we'll see what happens. You know, Scherzer is, uh, you know, his third start since coming off the injured list. It looked like he was going to be out for the season when he went on the IR in the, the first week or first, uh, second week, I guess, of September. Uh, and he hasn't been particularly good since he came back. He's had the two starts in the ALCS and the. Uh, and the uh, the uh, Rangers lost both those starts to the Astros. They lost both of those games. Uh, to your point here, Brandon Fott, yes, made the, his debut on May 3rd at Texas. It was a 12-7 to uh, win, actually, for the Diamondbacks. But he pitched four and two-thirds, nine hits, seven runs, uh, four home runs given up for Brandon in that particular contest. Uh, over to Max Scherzer, though. How do we... How do we sort of figure out Max at this point? Because we all know about his very long and very distinguished career. We know about the last couple of postseason outings, though, prior to this year. We also know about the injury that you mentioned and his working his way back. So we know what he's capable of. But like, who is Max Scherzer at this point? Well, I don't think he's capable of what he was, certainly. Uh, even uh, you know, a couple years ago, if it we're talking before the late season fades, uh, you know, with uh, you know the Mets especially a couple of years ago, uh, so I have no idea. I'm guessing Bruce Bochy really doesn't know. And if they could get three or four innings out of him, I think they'd be thrilled. Uh, I think they also have to be encouraged the way John Gray, uh, who was also on the injured list at the end of the regular season, 
uh, has uh, thrown the ball in the uh, in the playoffs, and uh, especially against you know that game against the Diamondbacks on Saturday night. He got they got some mileage out of him in that game. Or excuse me, Friday night, mm-hmm. the game that they won. They got some mileage out of him in that game. So I would assume, uh, and I'm assuming, totally assuming here, that if uh, Scherzer can get through three or four. Uh, or even if he doesn't, that uh, John Gray would be the next option for them. Uh, so it is a 2-3-2 two, two series. Three games are going to be at home for the Diamondbacks. Has anything surprised you through the first two games? Um, that they didn't finish out game, game one, considering how good the bullpen had been, but obviously... Yeah, you know, I you know, once again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Castro I know got destroyed by you know whoever, the media, Twitter, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but I actually didn't think that was that bad a pitch. Uh the end of the game against Garcia was outside and he was gonna I think uh you know, hope I don't sure if he exactly knew where he was throwing it, but it wasn't inside, it wasn't an easy ball to pull and just jack out of the ballpark like the Seeger home run the inning before. So there's that. Uh, nothing has actually really surprised me. And uh, once again, I've been kind of harping on this. Not kind of. I've been harping on this for at least 30 years in some shape or form, whether it was in print media back in my day doing that or whether it's been uh, uh, in uh, you know, the electronic media on radio. Uh, I could care less. Uh, home field advantage doesn't mean anything to me in the playoffs except for some rare occurrences. So it doesn't matter to me who's home and who's away. Uh, if you get this far, especially in the World Series, all these teams have had to win road games. 5:03 start today on Fox for game number three. Let's stay here locally, but transition to the world of college football. And we'll start with ASU football beating Washington State on Saturday, 38-27. to And it was the first Pac-12 win of the Kenny Dillingham era. When we were going through this game, we posed the question on Friday, can ASU find a run game against a WSU defense that is very susceptible to giving up a lot of yards on the ground? And that is what ASU did. Cam Scadabo with 11 carries, 121 yards, and one touchdown. And as a team for ASU, it was 39 total carries, 235 yards, and five touchdowns on the ground. This is a team that was in the bottom five of all you know, power five teams in college football and rushing yards per game. They had not had a run longer than 17 yards the entire season until Saturday night. Washington State, you know, another team uh, up there with uh, you know, basically you know, you know, Syracuse comes to mind in Maryland. Teams that uh, you know, had uh, some maybe – Decent uh, in the advantageous schedules in the month of September, even though Washington State, I think, I think they play better teams in Syracuse or Maryland. But it's amazing once these teams have certainly played much better competition. Uh, Wazoo's now lost four in a row. Syracuse has just fallen off the map, and Dino Babers might finally be fired because uh, this crap happens every year in Syracuse, but they keep bringing them back. And then Maryland has a horrendous record after September uh, with, you know, their current coaching staff, no matter, you know, whoever's and, you know, whether you know, they change defensive coordinators seemingly every 20 minutes and it doesn't make any difference. 
Uh, ASU, I also thought it was important for Trenton Bourget. Uh, no turnovers for him, so that certainly helped in addition to the ground game really getting going. And, and you had talked about it, that you felt like uh, ASU defensively had some players, had some, had some ability to get some stops. Well, another thing, Washington State, even when they're winning games early in the season, their, their, their offensive line is not good. They, they can't run the ball, basically. And their pass protection is really shaky. And Cam Ward got away, I think, with some throws early in the season when they won games, and now he's not getting away with them. And uh, you know, he keeps getting beat up. And uh, as it turns out, you know, I actually liked ASU in this game, getting you know, the contest we're in, uh, I'm in. Uh, with a friend of mine, we had ASU plus six, and that game actually, the game went off at like four. Uh, but uh, I thought hey, this was their chance to win, not just their first Pac-12 victory or Dillingham, their first game that they've won against an FBS team. Uh, U of A. They topped Oregon State 27-24. to Noah Fatita, uh, another start for him for the Wildcats. He was great, 25-32, 275 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. It was 10-10 at half, back and forth, until U of A had uh, back-to-back possessions that resulted in touchdowns for them. 2:22 left on the game clock. Oregon State goes and answers with 44-second drive of their own. U of A able to ice it, though, after the onside kick failed. They were able to get get a first down and U of A getting this big win over Oregon State yeah yeah Fafid has been really good as a quarterback he's now been uh, in there for you know the end of the Stanford game and four starts and uh, I don't think he's officially been named the starting quarterback <laughs> when Jaden Delora comes back which is still hasn't even after the bye he wasn't apparently ready to play this past week he was dressed and on the sideline and you know in uniform uh, but uh, even I, I'm not I did not hear the postgame press conference, but I haven't seen a headline that says that Fafita is still going to be the starting quarterback moving forward, even though clearly there are more. I, I forgot who used the word. The offense is more calm when he's in there. And I think that's the right word. Uh, you know, Delora made some spectacular plays. He also made some game, uh, some losing plays for them, including this Mississippi State game earlier this year. And uh, if they had won that game, uh, I think that they'd have uh, – they're getting national attention now, but if they'd won that game, which they should have won, uh, I think they'd be uh, getting uh, all kinds of recognition. Uh, Michael Wiley, I think this was a really key thing for them on Saturday night. He had missed three games. He got injured in that same Stanford game, and he came back, and he's a tremendous – he's a good running back, but he's a tremendous receiver out of the backfield. And uh, he caught the last two touchdown passes in that game for the U of A. Uh, and obviously the defense has been really solid here for U of A and it once again continued against Oregon State here. Should Jeb Fish be getting some credit now for some of these wins, 5-3 and three and 3-2 three and two in the Pac-12? Yes, even though they keep doing the stupid-ass things every game. How many times can you jump off sides on defense? Uh, they, 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 don't, they, don't, they don't run laps or something for that? Uh, that happened a couple of more times on Saturday night. Gave Oregon State a first down at one point, which you know, put them in position to make a run there. Uh, but it's just frustrating to, you know, the, if you watch the from start to finish of these games, it is frustrating because they do some dumbass things. They've got a very good defensive front seven, which they have not had for a really long time. I think their secondary is probably pretty vulnerable. But uh, their front seven has been good enough that they has not got exposed that much. 
this year, and uh, that's you know it's against some pretty good Pac-12 quarterbacks. So we'll see what uh, if that continues. But you know, once they took a 27-17 lead, and you know Oregon State got that uh, you know touchdown with a couple minutes to go, and you know they needed an onside kick. And unlike uh, you know the uh, the Cardinals, they were unable to uh, Oregon State unable to get the onside kick to to uh, make it a, a closer game. Yeah, you mentioned the Cardinals there, the onside kick. I felt like I was witnessing history that an onside kick was actually recovered in the NFL because that like never happens anymore with the rule changes. That's true. They almost got two. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, I forgot who it was from the Ravens who made that play in the second one. And I think it was that guy made a good play. Yeah, that's exactly who it was. The guy who can't catch a pass, but he made, he made a great play, you know, basically leaping to catch the onside kick, the second one. And he's the one that dropped the – he actually you – know, there were a couple of people that touched that ball the first time, and he was one of them that screwed up the first time. We'll take your phone calls, 602-260-1060, whether you want to chime in for Game 3 of the Arizona Diamondbacks tonight in the World Series, an ASU win, a U of A win, an Arizona Cardinals falling to 1-7 in in on the season, more from college football, more from the NFL. We'll certainly uh, be willing and – ready to talk to you on the other side of the break 602-260-1060 is the number we'll also dive into more from around college football next it is the extra point right here on kdus am 1060 KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. Ten forty here on this Monday, October thirtieth edition of the Extra Point. KDOS AM 1060 online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Phone calls if you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060 is the number. Let's dive into some things from around the world of college football. Georgia coming off of their bye week, pounded Florida 43-20. to Carson Beck, 19 of 28, 315 yards and two touchdowns. Also Georgia's run game, 38 carries, 171 yards. They also had a blocked punt, fumble recoveries, and, you know, they continue to win games as Georgia hasn't lost since 2021 in the SEC title game. Yeah, to me, they've only really shown up for two games so far this season and just kind of been cruising through the season. They, uh, you know, after the idiot running back from Kentucky guaranteed victory uh, (laughs) against Georgia, you know, they killed them. And then, obviously, it's a big rivalry against Florida. Yeah, uh, really, I think that Beck was tri- – I think that's the best game I've seen him play on Saturday. He threw the ball down the field a lot. Obviously, didn't have Brock Bowers. That didn't matter. I uh, had over 300 yards passing in that game. And he's really, I think, kind of uh, – you know, I think a lot of people probably don't really watch a lot of Georgia games from start to finish because they're – well, maybe this year more than others because they're not you know, winning every game by three touchdowns before it like starts. Uh, but you know, he's he, he's really improved during the season, and I think there's actually the you know, Bennett won a ton of games and two national championships. But as far as just a quarterback, 
I think that Bowers is a better, excuse me, not Bowers, excuse me, I think that Beck is a better quarterback than, than Bennett was. Ohio State 24, Wisconsin 10. You know, I had asked on Friday about this being a letdown spot after their big victory over Penn State. Not necessarily to lose the game, but not to necessarily roll against Wisconsin. Kyle McCord, 17 of 26, 226 yards, two touchdowns and two picks. But Travion Henderson, he returned to the field. He returned in a big way. 24 carries, 162 yards, one touchdown, four catches, 45 yards. Yeah, he gives them a big play threat. Uh, you know, still, they leave a lot of points on the field. They should have had a far more than they did. Uh, the two interceptions, uh, I actually think that's the worst game that McCord has played since the first game of the season against Indiana. Uh, so, you know, that uh, he's you know, he left points on the field, you know, three times in that game, too. Uh, he also got injured in the fourth quarter of that game and was in, in a, you know, I don't think it was officially a walking boot uh, you know, after the game, but there was some kind of apparatus uh, that was going on there, lower legs, so we'll see what happens. They play this week at Rutgers, which is a really good defensive team. They also lost Valley Product, or lengthened Ransom, to a leg injury. That looked like it might be bad. And he's had a really good season as a safety for them this year, much better than he did last year. Uh, so we'll see what's going on with that. Burke did come back and play in this game. Uh, so it, that's uh, they got some guys back, but you know, Ibuka is still out. Uh, so uh, see if they can get their guys back by November the 25th when they play in Ann Arbor. Uh, definitely. I'm looking at the video trying to decipher myself what you would consider it. And I think it's just a big bag of ice on his, uh, and then he has his foot in a sandal. So I don't think it was a boot, but it's just a massive bag of ice on him. And he's obviously limping and it's, yeah. it's challenging to walk with a big bag of ice on. <laughs> I've, not, I've never tried that. But uh, as far as yeah, the post game, I didn't see the post game, but I guess he like they had some kind of podium thing and he needed help to get on the podium. Uh, with Washington beats Stanford 42-33. to Michael Penix Jr., 21 of 37, 369 yards, four touchdowns and one interception. But Stanford, despite being... That was a really, really bad pick that gave Stanford a chance to win the game, by the way. And Stanford could have won this game if it wasn't for the, the trick play that was dropped. Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of interesting because you talk about this here, that this situation could have been completely different for UW. Stanford scores, making it 35-33. Then you have Penix throwing a pick that Stanford went for on fourth down. They didn't get it. Uh, UW then scores a touchdown in game essentially over here. But Penix certainly doing what he could to give Stanford an an opportunity to be in this game and to win it. Stanford being 2-6, 1-5 in Pac-12 play, They've been trying their best to uh, play spoiler to some teams. Yeah, in Washington, I know they're undefeated, and there's still at least one clown I know that still thinks they're the best team in the country. I don't know what games he's watching or whatever, but you know they're they're not playing well. Um, They're if they should have lost to Oregon. Oregon clearly is really to me at least clearly. The best team. I know they lost to you know they lost to Washington, but that was because of bonehead coaching decisions. They are the best team in the Pac-12. Uh, Washington, excuse me, uh, Oregon is, and I'm just somebody's going to beat Washington, I think. Uh, and they they have tried to lose games three of the last four weeks, including the U of A game. 
Absolutely. And since, you know, Michael Penix went to being like a minus uh, favorite in the Heisman category, he certainly has struggled. Uh, you had what happened against ASU, throwing no touchdowns in, in that contest there, in addition to what happened in the Stanford game. So interesting to see how their season is going to unfold. You talked about Oregon and they completely dominated Utah 35 to 6 in Salt Lake. Bo Nix was good, 24 of 31, 248 yards, two touchdowns. Meanwhile, Utah's quarterback Bryson Barnes, 15 of 29, 136 yards and two picks. And uh, certainly you pointed out here that the Ducks, they're still right in everything with the Pac-12, but they're probably kicking themselves for that UW loss. Yeah, even though if they went out and beat Washington, say, in the conference championship game, I think it would be pretty hard to keep them out of the uh, college football playoff at that point. Uh, Utah, we mentioned the possibility of this the other day, and I think clearly it was uh, it definitely happened on Saturday. They're just out of really good players. Uh, you know, you know, they've got four of their best players uh, who are not playing for the rest of the season, and a couple of those guys have not played one snap at all this season. I didn't ever think that Oregon would win by a thousand points. Uh, which, you know, that game was never, never, and I mean never, a contest. Uh, it was, uh, you know, from start to finish, a complete butt-kicking. Uh, and they really, the thing that was most surprising about this, I think, to most everybody, is the fact that they were so dominant at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And I think that's one thing that the Oregon offensive line especially has gotten much better during this season. As far as Bo Nix, I can make a case for him to win the Heisman. Uh, That case can start with 70% uh, completion percentage, at least 70%, and two touchdown passes in nine consecutive games. And hopefully you don't have to hear any more about this road Bo Nix crap anymore, which I heard again last week from a couple people. Sixth-ranked Oklahoma lost to Kansas 38-33. to The weather really didn't look very nice. Dylan Gabriel, 14 of 19, 171 yards and one pick. Kansas on the ground behind Devin Neal, 25 carries, 112 yards and one touchdown. But it... it... It's interesting here following Oklahoma after we spent a lot of time praising Oklahoma and specifically Brent Venables for the job that he's done going into Oklahoma, turning things around after the season that they had, beating Texas. Then they have a bye week, come out and have to scrape by to get through UCF. Then they go on the road to Kansas and uh, they lose. Next up for them is a rivalry with Oklahoma State. And I didn't even think Kansas played that well on Saturday, quite frankly. I mean, they won the game and they made some plays at the end, but OU, you know, Kansas, in fact, OU had 269 yards rushing in this game. I mean, Kansas allowed 269 yards rushing and still won the game, you know, being the backup quarterback, made some good plays. He also made some plays that put them into serious danger of losing. In fact, they should have lost after a couple of those turnovers that he had. And like I said, I don't. I didn't even think Kansas played very well, and they won the game. Uh, Texas completely rolled BYU, thirty-five to six. Uh, Malik Murphy getting the start for the injured Quinn Ewers, sixteen of twenty-five, one hundred seventy yards, two touchdowns, and one pick for him. Handing the ball off to Jonathan Brooks pre- uh, proves to be a good solution with sixteen carries, ninety-eight yards, and one touchdown. Yeah, I watched very little of this game actually, uh, so really can't comment too much on this. Uh, but I will say that, uh, yeah, Murphy made a couple of plays. I did see some highlight, uh, you know, video on this and, uh, 
the post-game shows, etc. Uh, the one thing that uh, Texas has had a uh, you know big-time sport uh, football history, uh, they have uh, had 300-plus yards in the first eight games of a season for the first time ever. Whoa. Okay. That's hard to imagine. You're right. They have a huge, long history of football. That would be true. So we'll see what's going on. And, yeah, um, I don't think Ewers is going to play you know, next week or anything like that. But uh, they don't seem to think he's out for the season. So clearly, uh, yeah, Murphy's okay. Um, you, I guess you can make a case more mobile and so forth. And uh, you know, Murphy did not get smacked by a run, a run, uh, a defensive player, and knocked out of the game like Ewers did the week before, which was a completely unavoidable hit, in my opinion. If Ewers had a little more awareness of what was going on in that play, there's a few other college football <clears throat> games we'll dive into on the other side of the break as we wrap up our number one of this Monday, October 30th edition of the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, with you. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Uh, USC barely escaped Cal over on Saturday, 50 to 49. Cal ran the ball 42 times for 235 yards, five touchdowns. Cal scored with 58 seconds left, tried to go for two, but failed. And so that ended up being the difference on the scoreboard there. Uh, when will Lincoln Riley? care about defense apparently never if you go back to the oklahoma days uh also they won this game though very similar to last year they had a bunch of takeaways they had four takeaways in this game that's how they won big time injury in this game maybe the off the top of my head the biggest injury in college football this weekend uh marshawn lloyd who it's believed by some is going to be the first running back selected in the nfl draft next year he left this game he was great before he got injured but um, he didn't look like he was going to play anytime soon. And they play this week at Washington or against Washington. I don't know where that game is, but it's against Washington this week. Caleb Williams, he was 23 of 40, 369 yards, two touchdowns, and one lost fumble. For UCLA, they beat Colorado 28 to 16. It was once again an Ethan Garber's game. He got the start once again for UCLA. He was efficient, 20 of 27, 269 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. The team, uh, they took advantage of the ground game with 45 carries, 218 yards, two touchdowns for them. Meanwhile, Colorado surrendered seven sacks to UCLA and had 24 carries, 25 yards. And I know that they, you know, count sacks and lost yardage in the run total so there was 20 yards lost there but 24 carries 25 yards in the stat column yeah and you know we keep saying colorado's not going to make a bowl game and you know it's hard to imagine they're going to win out to make a bowl game so we'll see what's going on with this ucla clearly a better team without more in there at least at this point of his career dante Moore overmatched as a freshman you know had the pick six in every pac-12 start that he's had uh, and Garbers was uh, very efficient in this game. And 
they also just they're really good on offense. The offensive and defensive lines of UCLA are very good, and uh, there's several. This is the the Pac-12 this year has more good combos of offensive and defensive lines of any time I can remember. Right? Obviously, we mentioned Oregon earlier. Utah was good at that before they lost some defensive, especially linebackers, and lost one defensive lineman in that game early against uh, against Oregon last Saturday. Uh, I don't think they fall into that category anymore. But UCLA and Oregon, really solid on offensive and defensive line. You know, listening to you talk about that, does that kind of set things up that UCLA is in a better position to transition to the Big Ten than USC? Definitely. Um, without question. That's an excellent point you bring up there. Uh, yeah, I don't know how many of these guys are coming back because they got a whole boatload of transfers at UCLA. So I'm guessing that you know, not all those guys are eligible to return for a 400th year of college football. Uh, they got one guy, one of their defensive guys, one of their best defensive players is in his sixth year of college football, maybe seventh, but at least his sixth. Pretty sure that he's not going to be able to play anymore, but who knows? Uh, the way that the uh, this this thing works, you know, I think we're out of the COVID, get an extra year because of COVID thing. I think that ended now, uh, I assume. Uh, so we'll see. But yeah, I think that uh, at least this year's team, UCLA, is better suited to the Big Ten than USC. I'm not sure who's coming back for UCLA next year or is eligible to return. Uh, and the other bad loss for North Carolina, 46-42, to 42, uh, loss to Georgia Tech. They lost last week to Virginia, lose this week here to Georgia Tech. Drake May, he was 17 of 25, 310 yards, two touchdowns uh, for North Carolina and the Tar Heels. That'll do it for hour number one. Hour two is coming up on the other side of the break. We'll dive into the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals, and your phone calls. 